0: Hello! Hello! I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss whether they're maybe even better for adults. Yeah. This week, Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. This is a bit of a special episode because this week is not technically classified as YA. We do deviate from time to time and cover a non-YA book that was either beloved to us when we were young even mm-hmm. though it was not technically it's classified genre or re- recommended by a loyal listener yeah for whom it was important when they were young and this is a specially timed episode because an amazon adaptation of good omens is about to be released by the time this episode comes out it will have come out 3 days prior so yeah, yeah. we're very excited to watch good omens came out in 1990. The year I was born. The year Madeline was born and it was a collaboration between Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Mm. Check out our episodes on Mort, Thud and Hogfather and I think that's all of our Pratchett books so far. Didn't we do a We Freeman? And We Free Men. I, yeah. know, I was forgetting one. And in terms of Gaiman's work we've covered both Coraline and um, Stardust. Oh yeah. So yeah. check those out. Two of our favorite authors. A quick warning in advance, we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read Good Oms in a while or haven't read it before and want to catch up before you listen, go and do that now and then come right back. Madeline, before we get started with our plot summary, would you like to give us a description of how the publisher chose to package and promote our childhood version? So it's, it's a black
1: matte book cover and then there's gold metallic Terry Pratchett, Neil Gaiman, uh, good omens. Uh, and you, <laughs> the way that you're feeling it, as if it's braille. Well, it's, it's uh, whatchamacallit? Raised? It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's punched out. You know. Uh, no, I know. Like I know, I know. Just you're just having a really tactile book, experience. <laughs> um, and then there is a little angel guy with a red book. The book, I'm assuming. He's got sneaks on, sneakers. He's got a little bow tie a little halo, little wings. And it's done in the <clears throat> in the uh, style of like a woodcut um, or a lithograph. Yeah, I like this.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 10 out of 10 would recommend this cover. Well, I mean, you know, like 8.5 out of 10 maybe. Let's
1: not get carried away. Uh, it's not overburdened with dumb stuff like a lot of book covers are. I think uh, especially books about the apocalypse as far right, as they go. This they really could have gone ham on it, but this fair. is, but I like the minimalism, especially the, the little angel guy, um,
0: who uh, I'm assuming
1: is, um, Aziraphale. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He doesn't look the way that I feel he's described yeah, in the so book. Cause it can't but, be Adam. No, but he's got the book. Aziraphale has the book in the book. True. Okay.
1: And I like how it kind of looks like it's on a blackboard with uh, the little picture and the lettering. Um, And I'm really into the tactile experience that is running your hands over this cover over and over again. Madeline never really got past Pat (laughs) the Bunny. (laughs) I love Pat the Bunny.
0: (laughs) Just trying to recreate that experience. It's a good cover.
1: I also appreciate its symmetry. Yeah, I just think they did a good job. And it's fun that
0: it's so understated when it's such an intense, apocalyptic book. So what we're going to do now is an attempt at a plot summary for those of you who haven't read the book in a while or haven't read it before but don't want to. Always (laughs) Um, happy when I don't have to do a summary on a Terry Pratchett (laughs) book. We do take turns with these with varying degrees of success. Um, And as Madeline mentioned, we do tend to struggle when it comes to summarizing Pratchett influence plot lines because there's so many characters concurrent narratives taking place Mm. and then they all inevitably meet up at some point in a glorious clash so this book is concerned with the end times initially the primary characters in the story are an angel named Aziraphale and a demon named Crowley they, I, I really, really love
1: that his name was originally Crowley because he because was, a, he was snake. a snake.
0: He was the snake that tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And Aziraphale was one of the guardians of the gates mm-hmm. into Eden. And that's where they first became friends. That's when they first met up, <laughs> um, realized that you know, they have one or two things in common. They, their jobs are to be sort of the watchers of humans on Earth um, for heaven and hell, respectively. And as the years go by, they both have... They, they develop an arrangement that they're essentially going to make one another's jobs a little easier. <laughs> um, they're both willfully terrible at their jobs, by the way, especially when it comes to overseeing the Antichrist. What ends up happening is that when the uh, Antichrist is supposed to be delivered to the appropriate family (laughs) at the hospital on the day of his birth, the wrong baby is delivered to the right family and the Antichrist is delivered to an unsuspecting family, the Youngs. And from that point on the uh, Crowley and Aziraphale don't actually manage to have any influence over that None. boy <laughs> as he grows up. They're in fact attempting to influence a totally normal kid. <laughs> it, in some ways is it kind of a worse behaved and just generally worse child than the actual antichrist. Yeah. Um, warlock sucks. Yeah. That, that boy is warlock. The actual antichrist is Adam and he grows up. Relatively unbothered, having a wonderful childhood with really close friends in a lovely town in England. An idyllic town. That's right. When Adam is 11, a series of events begin taking place that have been foretold in a book of prophecies written by a witch named Agnes Nutter. Agnes's descendant, a woman named Anathema Device. Oh my gosh has a copy, the only surviving copy of Agnes Nutter's prophecies. And over the years, she and her other family members have been working to figure out what the archaic old English text means. Because mm-hmm. the thing about this book is that every prophecy in it is correct. And every event that is prophecy takes place. But at the same time, the prophecies are also incredibly specific. So it can be really, really difficult to discern whether a prophecy is talking about A specific barn in a Mm. little town in, I don't know, India or about the end of times, which these prophecies are, in fact, about the four horse people of the apocalypse assemble and begin to move toward lower Tadfield where Adam is. And Aziraphale and Crowley realize that they have made a mistake because (laughs) the uh, actual uh, warlock, the boy who they thought was the Antichrist, um, is clearly not able to do absolutely anything that the son of Satan should and doesn't have the mysterious hellhound who was sent to be at his side on his 11th birthday, correct? Yeah, who gets Um, turned into, like, just a little poocher. Yeah, who turns into a cute mutt because that's what Adam envisions, because he was raised a normal child. Yep, and that's what he wanted. So, in true Pratchett fashion, everything kind of collides in a big mess, and ultimately, Adam loves the world and all its humans Mm -hmm. too much to decide to bring about the end times. And this is the same sentiment that Crowley and Aziraphale experience. They don't want the world to end either Mm -hmm. um, because they lose all the little weirdnesses and comforts that it provides them in their lives. And Adam thwarts (laughs) um, Beelzebub (laughs) and the Metatron, the voice of God, And the four horse people of the apocalypse and resets the day so that they basically just skipped the things that were supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, Puts everything back. So uh, the Kraken is no longer... Unleashed, Atlantis wasn't found. No aliens. There aren't aliens coming throughout Earth delivering messages of peace. Oh, gosh. I love that so much when the <laughs> aliens are just like
1: walking up to random people and being like, we bring you a message of peace. <laughs> and that's
0: it. And all of the different signs and omens, if you will, um, ultimately are meaningless. And the book ends with anathema receiving a, a, a continued edition of Agnes Nutter's prophecies, which shows that she really was the last true witch because she knew that the world wasn't actually going to end. And mm-hmm. she has a whole new set of what came next in yeah. what's essentially the earth's second version of existing. The second age. The second age. One might say. Um, so yeah, there's a brief summary I that was a great some summary. characters and, but that was that was um, a great summary quite a lot of other things but we'll talk about that next I think you hit on all the important stuff thank you mm-hmm. let's talk about old and new impressions and compare how we felt about this book when we were young to how we feel about it today mm-hmm. I think this is a book that can be read by all ages um it actually is surprisingly what I would call YA appropriate. Mm. Um,
1: Cause anything that a kid wouldn't understand, it's not jarring. Like mm-hmm. they would just read over it. Anything that was like adult themed.
0: Yeah. I think the greatest loss for a young reader experiencing good omens for the first time is just the lack of kind of referential knowledge that they might have. Right. Yeah. That's the thing about Pratchett, and a lot of Gaiman's work, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they love packing in mythological and cultural references. Especially from a Judeo-Christian background, just mm-hmm. like in this book. And they make
1: every joke so much funnier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So if you don't have that knowledge base... Then. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and yeah, it is all from a Judeo-Christian tradition. That is where... That's what the force of the religion in this book is. Yeah. Um, because it is a book... A about what Christians, what Christianity, what the Bible foresees as the end times mm-hmm. and the revelations. Yeah. So I read this book when I was a teenager, um, hence the 2006 edition that we have oh, today. Oh, is your which edition is that crumbling you read. and falling apart? It is crumbling, and it's also stuffed with old receipts and plane tickets. So I can tell how much I've traveled with. Carried it around quite a bit in the past, and that's made all the funnier because in the introduction to this copy, um, Gaiman and Pratchett say that they are always amazed by it, the state of the books, the good omens books specifically that people bring to them to sign. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> They've been huh? dropped in the bath and they're being held together with a tape. <laughs> and, um, well, yeah, just, they're not wrong. All kinds of incredible stuff. And yeah, mine's also in poor shape. Um, and I've always deeply loved this book. It, really captures a lot of what I find so glorious and infuriating about humans mm. at large mm. and the state of our world. Yeah It is a much more sobering read today
1: yeah, because
0: right? of the climate change specifics that are mentioned in the book, like the polar ice cap smelting and the seas rising. Um, and famine in particular of the four horse people of the apocalypse, each of them are a fascinating character and they get development as the story goes on, which is really cool. And I think pretty difficult to do. It reminds me quite a bit of American gods. And I know that Neil Gaiman did write the, the four horsemen. Mm. Um, And in American gods, he does something really similar with um, just Creating humanity in godlike characters mm-hmm. and giving them all these little touches that make them relatable to us, even though they're just entities, you know, mm. they're yeah. forces. They're not humans. Sure. Um, and famine in particular is very frightening. Um, yeah. And has in fact created a fast food empire yeah. in which he serves meals that do not contain nutritional value. Right. Um. And the commentary there about what companies that are seemingly interested in nourishing people are actually delivering to them all in the name of turning a profit Mm. is very accurate and dark, I think. Of course, uh, fast food companies aren't serving food without nutritional value because they're not the biblical force famine, (laughs) Uh, also the swap of pestilence for pollution. I liked that a lot. Yeah. Uh, made a lot of sense yeah. because, because that is humanity, the pestilence. Humanity has managed to find cures for, um, many different types of plagues that would have wiped out entire mm-hmm. populations yeah. hundreds of years ago. But at the same time, we're destroying the planet to do that. Um, so, a little intense um, to experience and by the end of the book I actually found myself thinking you know what and we've mentioned this on the podcast before like could someone just come and put us all as a planet out of our misery so that we don't have to get to the point where we're in civil wars over sources of water yeah just um, grenade respawn maybe it, the turn the wheel and just start over it, it would be great to have some kind of hellish or heavenly interference. Well, yeah, we
1: need a, a uniting force, right? So right. we do need to be like invaded by aliens or something to put all the Earth people in the same bucket for once instead of all at each other's throats.
0: And it makes so much sense that at the end of the book, Crowley and Aziraphale are speculating that maybe the final battle it is actually going to be humanity versus mm-hmm. the, the celestial forces, the supernatural, yeah. the celestial um, and that makes sense for a lot of different reasons, also just because without these little, these little, <laughs> these little <laughs> without these little creations running around occupying their time, what are the forces of what good are they and evil for? doing yeah. anyway? Yeah, Which is a problem that's clear from the first page of the book. So I, I love the way that everything wraps up. Mm-hmm. And also just in awe that two people wrote this together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we let's we can talk more about that after hearing your impression. Uh first I just wanted to say really quickly,
1: in case other people are experiencing this as well. I told my psych last time I saw her, I was like, Yeah, I just have she's like, What are you anxious about these days? And I was like, Well, you know, to start off with like I just think a lot about climate change all the time. And I'm like, it's a really big burden and I don't know what to do. And she just looked at me and she was like, yeah, in the past few years, uh, like everyone says that now, all of my, cl- like everybody has climate anxiety who, it, you know, is actually believes that it's happening. Um, Oh, so not
0: alone, not alone. My, my therapist told me, <laughs> <laughs> therapist corner, <laughs> what did your therapist say this week? Mental health awareness, guys, it's important. <laughs> um, I started my most recent bout of therapy um, almost exactly one year after Trump was elected. And right. my therapist was just talking to me about the influx of new patients looking for counselors to talk to and yeah. how it has uh, yeah become really difficult she was just speaking specifically from working in the city of seattle as a lic- licensed mental health counselor but mm-hmm. um it has been difficult for folks to find therapists because oh. their dockets are pretty full okay <laughs> that was see. now um a year and a half ago okay. but. yeah we, Anyways, I... How do we cope I, with the brutality of daily life? Uh, oh, yeah,
1: it's okay. It's all... Don't what man, do uh, we
0: tell our children?
1: None of this man. I don't have children.
0: My pets will be dead in a decade. <laughs> <laughs> all right, this is going to be one of those episodes. I can already tell, and I knew it would be when I started the book. Yeah.
1: Oh, yep yep, 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 So let me just say, I have not read this book before. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: it's, it was one of those where I thought I'd probably read it because I've seen it in my life hundreds of
0: times, yeah. just
1: floating around here the or there. Present. Yeah. And
0: growing up, like yours and mom's and my books were, we're all, all together. Kind of yeah. Mold, so yeah. yeah.
1: Um so <laughs> I don't think I would have been able to read it as a kid, but I had a lot less patience for more intellectual books when I, not that I don't stupid books, but rather I could do like straightforward fantasy yeah. um, YA and I would just get bored and distracted when there was too much commentary or whatnot
0: going on. And I think the perspective shifts are the most challenging Yeah, part I was also super religious when I was a little kid. I was into Jesus. Mm. <laughs> so I am... Um, who barely gets a mention in this. I know, which <laughs> I love. Jesus is conspicuously is absent. Because he should be showing up for the rapture, which also doesn't happen. Which is great. <laughs> which yeah. is super funny because the rapture is just absolutely such a smarmy garbage excuse for yeah. the sorts of... Facebook vigilantes who are out there commenting on how horrible everyone else is without a moment of regard for what they're doing in that moment to virtually bully and sometimes ruin the lives of people who just ended up being in front of them for whatever uh, reason. Hey folks, I was raised Catholic. So I'm very aware of the fact that
1: Jesus did say, remove the log from thine own eye before removing the splinter from thy neighbors. That's right. Just some, uh, Jeebus wisdom. Good job. Maybe, maybe think about <laughs> You're it.
0: You're pulling out Bible verses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I learned some. Uh, but, but I really enjoyed this while I was reading it this time. I did the audiobook on Scribd. Um, Scribd, if you want uh to pay us money and have us advertise for you, slash tell yeah. us how to actually say the name of your app. We <laughs> love to have you as a
0: sponsor. Yeah, we we love your app so much. Tell us how to say it. The book is narrated by Martin Jarvis, and he does an absolutely incredible job. Really fun. Really fun stuff. Um, he, he's a fantastic
1: reader. He can't sing. So it's really funny. He's tone deaf. Yeah. yeah. So it's really funny how much singing he has to do because like I said, he's super talented and I'm not trying to disparage him in any way. It's just obvious that he is not a singer. And I
0: think it actually makes it harder to get the joke sometimes yeah. because I was switching from audiobook to book copy based on if mm-hmm. I was walking or running or at home. And the joke about how Elvis didn't die and he's working at one of famine's burger restaurants. Right. I initially didn't get just because his singing of the Elvis songs was so So tuneless, (laughs) and I was like, "Wait, who who is that person?" I know it's Uh, a joke. He he is someone important and famous. And then I went and just read the lyrics, and I was like, "Oh, it's Elvis! It's Elvis!" (laughs) Um.
1: So really funny. But I mean, Terry Pratchett's books are always like that, where it's. I mean, I really enjoy the audiobook. Usually, they get really good readers for them because you have to; otherwise, it's just going to be terrible. But I will definitely say that Terry, you're always missing something if you're not just reading the book. If yeah. Terry Pratchett's involved, yeah.
0: this this book
1: is funny enough about what I expected, having grown up around it, um, and knowing Gaiman and Pratchett's work. Exactly, exactly, yeah, uh, and yeah, I just I thought it was really fun. It was really fun to see Terry Pratchett and Gaiman combined. Uh, and it's just very obvious from its reading who the two authors are. Um, It's just such a fun melding of their talents. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really love all the characters they created and all the stuff they did. It's just,
0: yeah, it's a great book. So while we're on the topic, let's talk more about how the book was written. Um, Grace did some research. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mostly just have read the intro and the afterward that's research because i did not i know you don't like reading introduction no <laughs> um terry pratchett and neil gaiman met in 1985 when pratchett was being interviewed by gaiman um when oh, he was really? working as a journalist oh that's yeah. really cool it was for a, a sci-fi magazine that's super um, neat, right? yeah yeah no it is uh and they both describe their first meeting from their own perspective in the afterward Aww. to this book and it's really great um <laughs> came and says Aww. that he was wearing a gray hat that he was like trying to make work and oh. then it he's like he was not a hat man <laughs> And eventually he gave up the hat and got a leather jacket instead. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Um, And they realized that they had a lot of, a lot in common and they had similarly well read, but also weirdly read backgrounds. Like they were fascinated by all the same stuff, all the same obscure stuff. Um, And they started writing the book in 1988 and It was initially a short story that Gaiman had written um, that was very short, like he said, like six pages. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a parody of Richmond Crompton's William books. It was called William the Antichrist. Um, Who's who's Richford Crompton? Richmond Crompton, I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, And they... What they did was send floppy disks in the mail back and forth to each other Holy because it was crap, 1988. Wow! <laughs> and then they would talk on the phone every day, multiple times a day, okay. and just kind of spout ideas at each other. And they both said that their goal was to try to make the other person laugh. Oh, and oh my god! I think that's all. That's always what produces the, <laughs> the best art. I yeah. mean, it's really incredible. Maybe not the best art, but the most fun. The most Enjoyable, Good. It's good stuff. It's, Thumbs it's good up. stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah. We're in favor. Um, and they tried, they even tried to use a modem to send chunks of text to each other. But um, they not figure but it out. Yeah. It just, it wasn't working. Oh, and they didn't, you know, they didn't have email yet. Um, they were just trying uh, to like, how do, what, what did you do before email? I can
1: I can't. Uh. <laughs>
0: Dennis right now <laughs> you,
1: you load it onto the back of the little green caterpillar that was the only thing that would show up on your screen and that it would inch across the world exactly that's how computers <laughs> used to caterpillar
0: work working hard um and so they both said that of the first draft terry wrote about two-thirds of it um but then from that point on they and, and throughout the draft, too, they both said we talked every day. We mm. did, we said so much stuff aloud. And then Terry ended up writing most of it because, first of all, he was just a more experienced novelist, whereas mm. Gaiman at that point was writing Sandman. Oh, um, and cool. Cratchit also had more time to devote to this because he, <laughs> Grace's book, uh, just, in what is perhaps a bad <laughs> open, my book just spontaneously flew off my lap and fell and apart. Fell apart. On the <laughs> There's pages apart from it. So I, I don't know. Maybe Agnes. Oh, well. like, Can you get in touch? Yeah. Is that a prophecy? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> thy book shall flee thy lap. <laughs> thy animal shall poop upon it. <laughs> My cats are nearby. That's what the book means. Um, and by the end of the process, they had both had moments where they complimented one another on a line that they thought was really funny. And then the other person was like, I didn't write. You wrote that. that." Oh, that's Um, funny. So it just became this amalgam of both of their brains. And I think reading it now after um, having read a good deal (laughs) of both of their work, yeah, it's so fun having that puzzle of kind of figuring out which characters were most important to each of them and who they had the most involvement with, um, but they also said that by the end of the book, they had both written every character. So it, it was just okay. like <laughs> everything well, just anytime there's a witch, it's just very precious yes. or a bureaucrat, or a bureaucrat, <laughs> yeah. Um, so everything surrounding Agnes Nutter, Terry did right, and he also created the the them, the group of kids um, that is Adam's uh, little. Um, cabal <laughs> and uh, then Gaiman was very involved in creating Crowley and also the um, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse that um, makes sense yeah and uh, I just reading this book is such as we said a good time it's um, a delight and you just smile and laugh through the entire thing and that's yeah. the best part of like listening to this on audiobook I'm just walking the streets of Seattle cackling just to myself cracking up <laughs> um it is and like we mentioned uh i can't believe how prescient it feels um almost 30 years now since it was written Mm -hmm. um and it has somehow become more accurate so maybe the last true witches were actually neil gaiman and the sadly departed terry pratchett oh for sure are you kidding me they're more witchy than anybody else. <laughs> I also love thinking of the two of them as analogs for Aziraphale and Crowley. Yes. <laughs> really fun. Really fun. Cause I can totally see that. And yeah, it makes sense to me.
1: There was a super sweet, um, I didn't read too much of it cause it made me really sad. A tribute to Terry Pratchett, um, from Neil Gaiman since Good Omens is coming out. Um, and it's just obvious that they they were really good friends.
0: Yeah, and this book is a display of their friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's immortalized cool. in yeah. good omens. Uh, I wish that they had had the uh, time and ideas and ability to write a sequel because yeah. I feel like that is really left open at the end of the book with the continued prophecies of Agnes Nutter yeah. with Adam clearly now knowing that he has some kind of supernatural ability, but choosing to continue to just grow up as a boy (laughs) in Lower uh, Deadfield. Very wise. Um, With Anathema and Newt and whatever's going to happen with the two of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And also just with what the four horsemen are going to be doing now. Because I'm very curious about... The, the way that it's discussed, you know, it's unclear to anyone exactly what happened and whether the end times have just been delayed yeah. or if they have been inherently changed and going to look like something. Or if this is just different. part of the whole plan. Um, right. And this is just a hiccup. And ultimately, Adam will bring about the end of the world. Um, but sadly, they were unable to do that. And yeah. Well, that's okay. We still got this. And um, being able to
1: create something so awesome Mm -hmm. and beautiful with a good friend is uh, just magical.
0: And we have another book we covered that was written by two friends, uh, which is Sorcery and Cecilia um, by Patricia C. Reedy and Carolyn Stevermark. Yeah. Um, Which,
1: as we've discussed, is, is pretty different but also a just really, really fun expression. Of
0: yeah, an incredibly different book and much lighter in tone and substance than this one. Yeah. But I am just realizing, like, maybe this is actually a sub-genre that I need to explore more. <laughs> co-authored You are very books. into co-authored books, though.
1: I am, because right? I, I
0: just like seeing uh, the interplay of two different creators. Sure, yeah. Um, and I think that, I think co-authored works will become more and more common with the continued growth of uh, prestige television, because it's a uh, lot writer, a lot easier to work on yeah. a TV show with someone in terms sure. of writing it than a novel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just, I love thinking about Terry guiding the framework because he, by this point he had already written so many novels yeah. and um Gaiman Putting in his own weird stamp and his ideas, yeah, it just makes me feel really happy. No, it's and I mean, you you
1: really care about the people who create the art that you love the most, so it's just really fun when like they liked each other and we're friends and, and we're like, interesting it's
0: people, yeah. And of course, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett are interesting people, like that goes without a doubt. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's still cool to see this proof of it, yeah, um, and. While we're talking about the two of them, we can talk a little bit about the upcoming series because Mm -hmm. they had always wondered whether there would be some kind of adaptation of the book, and it's so adaptable. Um, But... I'm really
1: excited. I've actually been, like, totally avoiding news about it because I want to... I Like, I hate trailers. I hate things that... uh, give you all these expectations for what you're about to go into I really prefer to just go into it and experience it because I'm so heavily influenced by others opinions mm-hmm. even, you know even the people who made it and mm-hmm. or like the publishers or whatever and I don't want that I just want to
0: organically grow my own feelings so I'll say this the show is being created because Neil Gaiman received a posthumous letter from Terry Pratchett mm-hmm. telling him, to do it. Oh, <laughs> um, I didn't even know that because he would never have been comfortable otherwise, um, oh, with working sure. or giving the rights to something that they had done together yeah. but wouldn't be able to work on together of as course. it was being adapted. Yeah, and he had pretty much free creative reign of the show. Um, he uh, is the showrunner, he wrote it. Oh. Um, he is very much at the helm, and I read an interview with him saying that he uh, he had to fight for, but ultimately was allowed to keep specifically the scene in which Agnes is burned in, um, oh. because it was so wildly expensive to film, because oh they had gosh. to get a period piece town witch burning. Wow complete with you know all the period appropriate extras and then a huge explosion. <laughs> explosion yeah wow and that scene is so important and agnes was also terry's creation through and through um so he said gaiman said absolutely not it has so to be So is it included. just like a mini series? So yes it's okay. 6 episodes. Okay. I believe it's 6 like hour long or so okay. episodes. Um and I'm not sure about whether it is a single season or, or whether there could possibly be more. I believe it's standalone. Okay. Um that's what it should be. And given the material that really makes the most sense. Yeah. So all of all of that said, I have very high hopes yeah. for the adaptation. And I have I really want been to enjoy it. consuming media surrounding it, and it looks really good. Ooh. And not only does it look really good, but <clears throat> I'm really excited by the cast. Um, because yeah, the cast. I know the cast, and the cast is very exciting. Because Michael Sheen as Aziraphale and yes. David Tennant as Crowley are That's going to so be great, so amazing. Yeah. And I have loved michael sheen ever since his turn in 30 rock oh god i love michael sheen was lemon's best boyfriend
1: he just (laughs) cracks me up everything he says and he tends to
0: be in like harder more intense roles like i watched masters of sex for a few seasons because he plays the main character but it's just like too depressing and Mm. i could not continue um so i'm really excited to see him in something that's light and comedic i mean light it's an angel trying to stop the the end end of of the the world. world. (laughs) Um, But something that's deeply funny because I think he's just such a talented comedic actor. So funny. Um, His comedic timing is amazing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm incredibly excited. So let's talk about magic systems because I think this book offers something really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, The majority of the, Supernatural is coming from religious forces, but then this is also a version of our world in which there was at least one true witch. And in keeping with that energy, there are also things like the Witchfinders Army, which Mm. is concerned with even in the present day. Well, the Witchfinders Army is its own. Funny entity. Right. Yeah. Concerned with finding witches and legless upside down turtle. (laughs) Yeah. Where the annual salary is, what, one shilling? (laughs) Because Uh, that's what the budget allows. Yeah. Um, So there is some kind of. Force at work there is some kind of you know magical force mm-hmm. um yeah and I think that's what allows for the uh, celestial to get so involved mm-hmm. with humankind um but I think Gaiman and Pratchett both handle this surreal surreality in a, a smart way yeah. because something like the four horsemen horse people having uh, specific physical embodiments and like day-to-day goals and jobs and things like it's that. It's pretty funny. Yet yeah. also just being the personification of a certain type of energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, taking on their true forms, uh, near the end of the book, uh, is fascinating. And I, uh, like the, uh, insinuation that they're at work out there behind all the worst things that are going on. Um, because it's also interesting to think about the jobs that the angels and the demons that the good and bad actually play. Mm -hmm. And the commentary the book is making on who is good, who is evil and who's the true evil, which is explicitly said at one point it's humans. humans. (laughs) The real evil comes from within them. Yeah. And everything else that's happening is just the angels and demons basically trying to like check off boxes on their to-do lists. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really funny how the old-school demons are very concerned with corrupting a single soul, right? Whereas Crowley is like, I mean, I I, pissed people (laughs) off. I tied up the freeway. Yeah, no, I turned off the phone lines. I turned off all the phone lines for an hour at lunchtime. Like, think of all that havoc that stemmed from that. And the demons are just like so disapproving of that. Yeah, he's
1: much. More chaotic, neutral than even actually evil.
0: Yeah, he really is, and it makes sense because he's been tainted by humankind. Yeah, and I love that at the end, when death—a different death than we're used to in Pratchett's books—but a death (laughs) nonetheless—says, "The four horsemen have, you know, we're just going back to existing everywhere at once, and now entropy will take." our place yeah. again, mm-hmm. because it is always entropy that right. is leading to um, everything that's happening, honestly, and that the humans are all just striving to fight against. Yeah, um, It is so, so sweet that a book about <laughs> the hell and heaven and angels and demons and God and Satan and the end of the world has an ultimate message of uh, hey, life is pretty cool and we should celebrate it it and appreciate it and enjoy it. Um, And even something like an immortal being can get really invested in like finding a good lunch and Mm -hmm. feeding some ducks at a duck pond and driving uh, A cool car (laughs) or collecting all of the rare manuscripts that they can find about prophecies. It's (laughs) just, uh, I really like that. And it gives me uh, some hope back at the same time that there is something to be found in this human race of ours. Yeah. So maybe that's the real magic in the book. Yeah, there you go.
1: I don't. I can't follow that up with anything. That's. I'm just. Yes. mm, Indeed. Sage.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we discussed magic systems. Um, You know what we haven't done for a few episodes. Hmm. Just like animals. Animals in this book.
1: In this book. So I really love the hellhound in this book who starts out being a terrifying creature and becomes just a like kind of cute little doggy because that's what Adam imagines the kind of dog that he wants to be so that's what the hellhound becomes and the hellhound just becomes his companion he mm-hmm. completely just is no longer a hellhound by the dint of Adam's own life force and imaginings. Um and and he still has a small satanic spark inside. Right, his eyes can get red.
0: (laughs) I love the really fussy, you know, town council dude basically who uh, writes a letter about the dog being rabid after he sees his eyes glowing red at one point. It's just like, what are you doing, man? There are people even in this version of our world that are so determined to ignore signs of right magic or yeah. anything mm-hmm. beyond the ordinary yeah um and i'm trying
1: to were there any other animals besides the dope? yeah there I were mean, they just didn't have like there's the roles. whales <laughs> we
0: have to save the whales <laughs> that is a
1: big part of the book that's true
0: and they and at one point Crowley, And the kraken
1: <laughs> right the kraken know, that's really an animal but yeah uh, also
0: i can say i wanted more kraken more leviathans more please please yeah
1: Um, Crowley and uh, Aziraphale have an interesting conversation talking about how it's not fair to, like, the gorillas and all the other animals that humans were going to kaboom the world um, because, like, other animals were cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, when they're both sort of convincing each other that they should try to thwart the apocalypse, um, Mm -hmm. and they're talking through all the wonderful things that they won't get to experience again. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, it's good justification for not wanting the end of the world.
0: I love the two of them as a pair, too, because, like I said, they're both really bad at their jobs. They both love uh, humanity and all the fun little things that it enables for mm-hmm. them. And they're actually really similar people yeah. or similar creatures. Kind entities, of two sides of the same coin. Exactly. Um, they're both just following what it is that they feel their nature tells them to do. Yeah. Um, but they don't go overboard with any one thing. Mm -hmm. And they also both infect each other with their goodness or, and badness. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that they aren't more extreme because I mean, the, the whole The whole thesis of this book that you can't have good without evil. So if you win the fight, you're actually destroying yourself. Eradicating, um, yeah, is such a good one, and it's also definitely <laughs> that point is one that I would like definitely use in my college English classes. If I never, if I didn't have something to say about whatever we were <laughs> covering, because you can always pick out whatever the duality is, because there have to be two sides, and whether it's good and evil or something else completely. Um, and then you have something to uh, talk about. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Chiaroscuro, yeah. light and dark.
1: I remember when I would have an English class and I would be like, "Ugh, God, I feel like we've already discussed this literature into the ground, but I have to raise my hand and say something or I won't get an A in participation today.
0: So what was your go-to <laughs> thing? Is that what you're going to say? You're just complaining. I guess <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Complaining. What would I say? Yeah, I would just raise my hand and
1: whoever talked before me, I would say to piggyback off that and then I would rephrase what they just
0: said <laughs> in my own words. It's a good one. Uh, and here we are with a literary analysis podcast. So yep. <laughs> who would have thought? It's more
1: of a um, a recap than a literary analysis, Grace, which okay. I guess is a modern form of literary analysis. That's right. <laughs> Big
0: eyes. <laughs> Madeline is scared. <laughs> so I think that Crowley and Aziraphale lead us into our next segment. Pretend food. Pretend food. Because they love eating. They do. And that's one of the yeah. things that they really enjoy about the world mm-hmm. and why they want to continue its existence. I agree with both Crowley and Aziraphale that food is something to live for (laughs) indeed or at the very least look to as a highlight in each day um and in fact when crowley is first trying to begin convincing aziraphale that the earth deserves saving yeah um he starts talking about things that they won't have anymore and first he goes to music and then he says like eggs without salt you said which reminds me no salt no eggs. No <laughs> Gravlax with dill sauce. And I love that those are his. <laughs> like, what is Gravlax? Mm, like gravlax is salmon. It's smoked salmon. Oh. And there's also a lot of alcohol in this. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> people are drinking a lot. I love the scene when the when Corley and Aziraphale... Get They drink for 15 hours and they're so drunk that they can no longer continue what is a very deep and serious conversation about whether they want to avert the end times. So they just sober themselves up and take the alcohol out of their bodies and then start drinking again. That would come in handy. Because there's a lot going on. I know, if only. Um, And there's also, I mean, one of the great parts of any Pratchett book are the footnotes and some of the footnotes yeah. had some really fun food items in there too. I love his use of footnotes so much because he just adds so much color. Um, and basically and creates his own uh, encyclopedia about the world that he created in mm-hmm. the book right there in the footnotes. I mean,
1: everyone should use footnotes. They're fun. They're great for world building. Uh,
0: they're quirky. Like I just, they're so much fun. I really related to the footnote that comes up when Newt is trying to make breakfast for himself at Anathema Devices Cottage and In the end, as every human being who has ever breakfasted on their own in someone else's kitchen has done since nearly the dawn of time, Mm -hmm. he made do with unsweetened instant black coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I have had that feeling many times, especially because I need to eat pretty much immediately after I wake up or I just lose my mind and can't do anything. (laughs) And if I'm staying at someone's place and they're like like, Oh, "Oh, we can go get brunch in three hours. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. First of all, I wake up between five and six every day, no matter what is happening? Because that's when I wake up during the week, and I can't, I can't change my sleep patterns on the weekends. I can't sleep in. That's just not who I am.
1: I also need to have food upon rising, and it's very disturbing to me when someone says something like that. And I,
0: at first, I'm like, oh, they're kidding. Then I'm like, oh, god. Well, what it means for me is okay. So I need to scavenge. Yeah, or uh, no, I need to bring food with me at all times. Yeah, like I usually, always. if I'm going to be staying in someone's place, I help. Like, I bring bars bars and fruits. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. Um, but the footnote is about Giovanni Jacopo Casanova, um, famed amorist and literateur. And because presumably he was waking up in many women's homes because he was a famed amorist, um, he, uh, made sure that he would always have breakfast things with him <laughs> and what he carries around with him is. A small valise containing a loaf of bread, a pot of choice Seville marmalade, a knife, fork, and small spoon for stirring, two fresh eggs packed with care in unspun wool, a tomato or love apple, a small frying pan, a small saucepan, a spirit burner, a chafing dish, a tin box of salted butter of the Italian type, two bone china plates, also a portion of honeycomb as a sweetener for my breath and for my coffee. Let my readers understand me when I say to them all, a true gentleman should always be able to break break his fast in the manner of a gentleman, wheresoever he may find himself. It's really funny. And I need to aspire to be a true gentleman. I don't know why all those pans are (laughs) 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 necessary. That's where it uh, starts to lose me. Um, But yeah, I do. um, I do really relate to that. So there's also some gross pretend food in this book that we discussed briefly earlier. Um, It's mainly concerned with uh, his fake name is Sable, but he's Famine. Um, And everyone around him is instantly super hungry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then he's also offering them food that doesn't contain real nutrients. So it's just doubly an issue. Um, But he not only has a chain of burger restaurants, he also sells prepackaged, like, diet foods um, yeah. that just kill you yeah. because, because they don't contain anything for you to subsist on. So you just starve to death. Um, and there's a really disturbing scene in which a dying woman approaches him in a restaurant and asks for his autograph. So that, that's dark.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty dark. So that's like a non-food. Yeah, so but, but pre- in the form of
0: supposed sustenance. Right, yeah, it's like um, upsetting. Yeah. And it
1: makes me hungry. Yeah, it made me hungry too. And I was reading that, I was like, "Oh, better go get some cereal."
0: So we do, we do get, uh, yeah, we do get some nice fantasy food, even though this is set in our own world. And I do want to go to lunch at the Ritz with Crowley and Aziraphale, especially because yeah. they always get a table there, yeah. even when it's <laughs> the end times. Shall we discuss our badass ladies and their meterage? Yes, we shall. Would you like to go first? Okay.
1: My uh, badass lady is Agnes Nutter. And, and let's talk a little bit about Agnes. <laughs> I know you want to jump right in and rate. <laughs> Can I rate and then we'll talk to you about her? Yes. Mm-hmm. My rating for her is the uh, foresight of uh, hiding shrapnel and gunpowder in your skirt.
0: Yeah, Agnes is the best. <laughs> I, I'm not, I love everything about that scene. Yeah. I'm really happy to know that it will be in that the adaptation. That it's going to be in the, in the show, um, yeah. From her waiting with her shoes on for the witch hunters in the morning when they come to get her and telling them that they're late <laughs> to her beckoning the crowd <laughs> that's gather there to watch her burn to get as close as possible. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> to her leaving series of letters for anyone that she knows is going to try to mess with her descendants mm-hmm. or her yeah. um, legacy and really some great way. letters showing that she knows their darkest secrets <laughs> um and basically driving them out of their minds with fear yeah agnes is so good and she is definitely of the disc world which yes persona mm-hmm. um which is part of the reason i liked her so much a woman who is really good at knowing what's
1: up and getting things done and is just fed up with the people that are always bumbling
0: yeah just not down with all the nonsense that's going on around her and i love that her line of descendants are all these other highly capable people mm-hmm. um, who have their own degree of psychic foresight yeah. uh, mm-hmm. or rather remembering things that are going to happen, yeah. which is how Anathema describes it. And just her, her entire family. I, I love seeing the cards. I wanted more of the actual prophecies. Those are great. Um, I want a deck of those. And seeing the device family's notes. It was like reading a, um, a student. Shakespeare where it has, some of them have like new modern English mm. printed in one column with the original play on the other. Um And uh, yeah, I was just really reminiscent of that. And I love that as her predictions get more and more sweeping and apocalyptic, the device family is just like, I don't know. I, I <laughs> just have to watch the news yeah. and like, try to figure it yeah.
1: out. Or the one note that said uh, clearly she was drinking heavily at this time.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I also admire her confidence in proclaiming, like, gather and watch the burning of the last true witch. Yeah. It's just so awesome. What a way to go out and yeah. then blowing up the whole town. <laughs> she, she knew her stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of Agnes as well. And I appreciate that she gets the full subtitle under the book. Too. Yes. The nice and accurate, nice meaning exact, <laughs> as Anathema <laughs> will tell you, not meaning kindly, Prophecies of Agnes Nutter, which, which is just a great phrase. It is. It really is. My badass lady is going to be Anathema Device, who is one of Agnes's descendants. I'm not sure how many times down she is. I really
1: love the understanding and explanation about her name, the device.
0: Yes, Uh, everything about her is very appealing to me. Um, she has worked really hard to carry on her family's legacy. Um, as Newt says, she and she, when she's talking to him, that she's a professional descendant, um, but that's how they all make their way mm-hmm. in the world. Um, and Anathema is a super important driving force in the story, even though she may feel like she's kind of in the background, um, but she is the one who gives Adam the magazines that lead to him gaining an understanding of who he is and what he can accomplish because she really opens up his worldview and takes him outside of just his experiences in lower Tadfield um, and shows him what a disaster the world is, which Mm -hmm. leads him to feel the need to restart it. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, just showing him his true powers and Anathema also, I love the I love the joke about how her spelling wasn't bad so much as three hundred years too late because she writes the way that Agnes wrote <laughs> in the prophecies because she's always reading the book from a yeah. very young age mm-hmm. going forward. Um, I also it's so weird and funny that there is specifically a prophecy about her having relations with newt that her whole family like over the years makes jokes about yeah prophecy. it's really you amazing when she meet, first meets him and it's like yeah she was hoping he was tall dark and handsome but like tall and dark two out of three ain't bad." <laughs> and just that about that understanding of like okay guess this is gonna happen now so yeah. whatever it's been written um, and I think Anathema does a really good job and I wish I could see what she does with the continued prophecies of Agnes Nutter. I, I can't tell in that moment if whether she's she gonna does open them or not. read them yeah. or not. Um, I think, I think ultimately she will. Yeah, I think so. Um, my rating for Anathema Device is the best name I've read in fantasy in quite a while. It's, it's just a really good name. Fun to see and fun to say. And it's a great description of her character mm-hmm. in general. Yeah. And even though there weren't um, a significant number of female characters in this book, Agnes and Anathema are... I would say the two most capable characters in the book. And they're also like
1: the, book. the ones behind the scenes, like knowing what's, they have the knowledge. Exactly. That's yeah. why I'm saying, they're the mm-hmm. most capable. Yeah.
0: Um, and it is a little tricky that the angels and demons, I mean, I understand why they're all like male or, you know, male-bodied or gendered. Yeah, um, cause everything's because everything's sexist. Biblical. Yeah. And it's, yeah, all stemming from Genesis and the Book of Revelations. super well. sexist stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it would have been cool to have a female angel. I meant the source
1: fun? material is sexist, not I game and impression. I know. Yeah. I know you know, but I don't want our listeners to misinterpret what I say.
0: I think everybody Understand understands. Understand me, guys. And there's also Pepper, who is a member of Adam's gang, mm-hmm. um, and who is a fun, uh, you know, character of yeah. the type that is like, the little girl that's hanging out with little boys, and like, mm-hmm. roughing things up, but yeah. also being like the... Smartest one in the group, exactly, and keeping things moving yeah. forward. Um, yeah, so overall, I was um, happy with female representation mm-hmm. in this book. Yeah, also, we're forgetting the uh, chattering order of Saint Beryl. Mm-hmm. um which is a the nuns the nuns yeah there's uh, a lots of ladies there that talk constantly i know i kind of forgot them because they don't show up again right after the they're at the beginning and then the they book. drop off um but they're so fun and one of the most um I, one of the pieces of promotion that I liked best for the was upcoming the song. show is this see um, that. praise baby Satan song sung by the sisters um, that was yeah, just filmed in a really fun way. Um, yeah, I love the nuns. Uh, I love the concept that they just talk constantly except for one hour when they have their oh. tea if they want. And another lady is war. I
1: liked that they mm-hmm. gave... I was worried that all the four horse people of mm-hmm. the apocalypse. Uh, yeah. And
0: death is
1: just death. Yeah. Death doesn't really neither have a gender. Masculine
0: nor feminine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean that, like I said, I, I there are women throughout the book um, mm-hmm. just not in the biblical roles, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, love the nuns. Their existence is very funny. The um, nuns are great. And that also was something I was thinking about when we were talking about the magic in the book and kind of the heightened, the heightened Christian reality Mm. um, that there is like a a group of satanic nuns that are um, (laughs) raised. uh, I can't remember what the, the nun who swaps out the babies, what her specialties were. It was something like chanting and liver. Like those were her satanic school specialties. Um, And I just loved that line. It was super funny. Okay, so that's all for Good Omens um, by Neil Gaiman and Terry
1: Pratchett, and we'll do an episode about the show because we're both gonna watch it. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought we talked about that already. Making up conversations. Maybe <laughs> I, I don't had a like prophetic that. dream. <laughs> I maybe you did. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, that's how to have I, prophetic uh, dreams: is just to worried, make the actually. things happen
1: that happened in your dream. Oh, but I had a really bad dream last <laughs> night. Oh no. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, that, that probably won't be for a bit because there'll be a lot of show to I'll watch. probably get eaten by um, a T-Rex. Okay, we're talking about two different things. Less about Madeline's dreams, more <laughs> about our podcast. Um, you can find us online at dragonbabiespodcast.com on instagram at dragon babies podcast on twitter at dragon babies pod and if you'd like to send us an email letting us know what you think about the podcast or if there's a book you'd like for us to cover you can email us at dragon babies podcast at gmail.com We would also love it if you could leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so that we can broaden our audience and get more listeners and just create more episodes.
1: Yeah, and uh, send us requests. We love your requests.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Um, We hope you enjoyed Good Omens as much as we did. And And we hope you're enjoying life as much as a demon and an angel could. And we'll also do our quick little, as I look it up, our quick little announcement of the next book we're going to be covering um, so that you can book. reread it if you would like. Um, so technically, this week was when you were supposed to pick, but you never picked anything and then you <laughs> said, let's do Good Omens. Oh, right. Um, okay. I have mine picked already for the next yeah, one. Yeah, what's yours, Grace. The next book will be Fire and Hemlock by Diana oh. Wynne-Jones. Cool. Exciting. So we're pumped to cover that. Get back to some good old DWJ. God, I
1: love Diana Wynne-Jones. I showed off my calcifer tattoo at work the other day, and my coworker was like, I love that book. And I was like, you are incredible because you recognize that this is from a Miyazaki movie based on the book. And instead of saying, I love that movie, you said, I love that book. And I was like, we are of... To one mind,
0: yeah, I'll continue to be just totally mystified by how underread Diana Wynne Jones is. She's so amazing in general. She's when so she amazing. Should be widely known as one of our best contemporary fantasy right, authors. Right? They should have
1: been like trying to get blurbs from her to put on Harry Potter books. Yeah, it's it's very strange. But
0: we're hoping to combat that. Yeah. So, you love Diana Wynne Jones? We're here. Check out our back catalog. We have a bunch of episodes <laughs> and more to come. <laughs> Okay, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time, goodbye.